This one time in China, we were daring enough to order off menu. Greg and I had just visited the Sichuan Province Dinosaur Museum. It turns out climbing over some rather cartoonish looking dinosaur statues and taking ridiculous photos is pretty tiring and hunger inducing. It's hard work is all I'm saying. We were in the city of Zagong, which we lovingly call Zahunk, as the city's love for the car horn is clear. Look at me! Beep, beep! I'm driving! Beep! When we finally could hear one another clearly enough, we decided to drop into a random eatery for lunch. Uh, What was that you said? This may be hard to believe, but we had so inundated ourselves with Sichuan cuisine over the past week that all we wanted was a brief respite and decided to ask our hospitable matron if they wouldn't mind making us some good old-fashioned iron skillet beef. With a quizzical look, she left our table and ducked into the kitchen. Within seconds, out of the kitchen darts our friend with a fistful of yuan and a look of nervous excitement. We continued to banter with fellow guests and drank warm beer. A few minutes later, in runs our dear-winded matron with a bag full of something heavy on one side, a tote of fresh butchery on the other, and a big look of relief. Into the kitchen she ran, followed by the noises of chopping and clinking and clanking. When it stopped, out came a sizzling platter with plumes of aromatic steam and the perfect representation of Chinese hospitality. She could have said no. She should have said no. They had no intention, no plan, and no materials to make iron skillet beef that day. But this story made it all that much more delicious. My name is Howie Southworth. I travel, I eat, I cook, and then I write fancy words about all of it. My cookbooks are loaded with wild stories and fabulous bites, and I've shared plenty of my own adventures. But now, I want to hear somebody else's for a change. Sauced in Translation is a timely podcast spanning the globe of food, spinning tales of lavish meals and epic gastronomic failure. Join us for some well-deserved armchair globetrotting. Let's get saucy. My guest today is Kevin Harrington. Kevin is a faculty administration staffer at Harvard University in the Department of Stem Cell and Regenerative Biology, which is hilarious. So Kevin is also a stand-up comic. I kid. He's made a career out of splitting his time between the sciences on one plane and comedy, improv, and voiceover work on the other. In fact, the way we became familiar was me becoming a fan of a very creative crossover called The Hadron Gospel Hour, a radio comedy come podcast in which he played Higsby, a Higgs boson particle or the God particle. That can give a guy a complex. Oh, and he loves food. Here's our chat. So, Kevin, we met in 2014 at ITV Fest, the independent film and television festival in Vermont. In fact, you were the guy who moderated my very first Q&A after the screening of my original Sauce and Translation web series. That's the one in which I cooked American dishes across China based on local ingredients and methods. What a great chat, Kevin. Yes, it was. (laughs) We had such a blast. Your show was awesome. And really, really fun. But it was also like a pleasure for me to have somebody that is fun to talk to as well. Because I think sometimes you experience, uh, you know, as a host, you know, I guess I can say I have like a little more experience now. I've always loved like talking about people's projects. 
Uh, but I also became aware that some people are very shy about their creative process and can be like super nervous. And it's super fun to run into a person like yourself that is totally comfortable, you know, in front of the camera as well as behind the camera, totally comfortable. So it was like, I didn't really have to think too hard or like, it was just a natural conversation. And the thing that I love so much about our conversation, yeah, I'm a big foodie, obviously you're a big foodie, you know, and doing a creative project where I thought it was so interesting, your approach. I feel like there's a lot of food travel shows but the ones I don't like, and we, we talked about this kind of what I, I call like the ugly American, where it seems like there's like, oh, we go to this wild locale and there's like an exoticism. And it's kind of like you get nervous that they're going to be like, you know, mean spirited about this culture that they're immersing into. And I fell in love with your show because it was like, oh, it made me happy to see like such a positive experience of the American in another country that loves the food, is very fascinated by both the history, the culture, the presentation, the textures and the flavors, all the variety of the food itself and connecting with the people in kind of the communal aspect of food. And that alone would have been really fun and really cool. But what I loved is how you introduce American cuisine to an audience that has never experienced this because their only experience with American cuisine would be like Kentucky Fried Chicken, McDonald's, and like a Starbucks are like the three prevalent Western things. If they're getting Starbucks, like I want to give them something, you know, special, like uh, red eye gravy, you know, like real American food, barbecue. I'm sorry, I get really chatty when I get excited about people. <laughs> it's another level. You bring them American food and you do it in a Chinese style. I just loved your, what you did as like food as cultural ambassador to a level that I wasn't seeing in other travel shows or food shows. Well, thanks. I, I found that um, writing in particular uh, just became a faster way to get those messages out. And, you know, rather than a web series, which, as you know, having done similar work, the content is one thing, but the production takes on a life of its own. And there's so much more other work to do. Whereas at a keyboard, I can sit, you know, write the stories within a cookbook and go crazy with the amount of information that I want to try to get out there. And then that, and that's why we're doing sauce and translation as a podcast now, because I think sitting and chatting is so much easier to make uh, the perspective of food as an ambassador much more clear, much more quickly. So it, it may seem like backwards path, but I believe this podcast to be a graduation of, yeah. the, of the philosophy behind what was a web series. We're in a weird era that has deeply impacted travel and food. Yeah. How have the last 12 months impacted the way that you eat? When things are more animated, I'm like commuting everywhere. You become hyper aware of like, wow, my like palate shrinks a little bit at, or, or significantly because it's like in a place like Cambridge or in, in Boston, when you're in there regularly, you can have everything at your fingertips. And you completely look it over. You forget about it. You don't acknowledge it. And unfortunately, and I, I'm I'm working on fixing it. I gained a lot of weight because I felt <laughs> like I my my going out foods became the regular sandwich or pizza place. Like you eat that too much because of the the convenience. But the good thing that came out of that is like I need to correct this habit. I need to start making food more at home. 
I appreciate food. I'm not the master of making it, but I am pleasantly surprised with the like small things that you can do with meals that, you know, make them really feel like they're pretty impressive. I am now, I've now become the person that is like a disciple of kosher salt. Kosher salt is seemingly whatever it's salt, right? But like, my God, it is like the black belt in your arsenal. I trying to think kind of economically with my time. Can I do multiple things at once as this like, you know, guy that lives alone in my, in my tiny studio, kind of like multiple things at once, you know, you're the baked potato and the steak and, you know, Brussels sprout type of things. But I found accidentally when I was trying to do stuff to like save me time, what a difference it makes when they kind of, you can kind of cook these things together. And I was like trying to get, find ways to just make something playful and tasty that was like easy to do. And it's like, can I cook this into that? And with this, is there a way I can think simply? And and, and I'm, I'm so amazed at like how you can get really good quality, good flavorful things and you don't have to, you know, kill yourself to make it happen. You're highlighting something that I don't often think about. It's exactly the problem. We all take salt for granted. Right. So the, yeah. the fact the fact that you're trying to bring things down to a rudimentary level where you understand the alchemy that you're trying for in the kitchen, your basis, the basis of your new philosophy is man, with a knife and some kosher salt, I can do magic. That, as someone who spends a lot of time in my kitchen, I gloss over far too much. That's something that I think can apply to a lot of, di- of different disciplines, whether it's food or maybe music, that sometimes we get wrapped up in maybe my stuff isn't that good. We put all this extraneous effort into things but if we don't focus on the basics, you know, I, I think there's the the saying someone was talking about, like in a sushi restaurant, a chef spends a really long time learning just to prepare rice. That is the main catalyst for everything, right? And it seems can be seemingly bland when you think about it. You look at it, it's just rice. But it's like we all know rice can be delicious. I feel like I'm very much a beginner at at so many things. And I'm like, okay, well, why don't why, you know, give myself a chance? I got into it and I was just really happy, at, you know, playing around with things. And it's like, you know, sometimes you have that process and it's like, it's that great satisfaction that you made something that one didn't kill you, um, but was also like tasting pretty good. And you were finding you weren't intimidated by this process. You know, you start like building up your, your kind of comfort zone with foods. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. You get that salt wrong, it's never going to be right. But you can <laughs> yeah. ha- you can have a 27 ingredient magical curry, the best spices, the best yogurt, the best meat, the best chickpeas, the best whatever they are. Yeah. Remove the salt and tell me how good it tastes. Let's go back to when you didn't have to figure out how to boil water and add salt. If you can recall your last trip, what did you eat? Oh, well, the last time I, I, I went out for dining was this great place in Salem, Bella Verona, a wonderful Italian place. I got this portellini, green peas, and a white sauce, little slices of, of ham or kind of bacon cooked into it. I'd had this before, but I was thinking about it that night that flavor and food, sometimes how it can trigger and recall memories. I realized I like this style of comfort food so much because it reminds me of a place growing up in, uh, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. There was this amazing Italian restaurant called Bar Italia. And there were two brothers 
I think they came over from Ethiopia years ago and they were a great story. They were either both grad students studying to be doctor or one was a doctor. And they started this as like a side business while they were going to school. And they had great culinary proficiency. You know, they say about Ethiopia, great Italian food. Well, when you think about it, it does make sense. Ethiopia is, is modern Carthage. (laughs) <laughs> so I asked the question, what was your last great trip and what did you eat? Your mind goes to this tortellini took my mm-hmm. brain and threw it to St. Louis and all yeah. these memories come flooding back. That's that's yeah. a fantastic point of view. It's one of those things where like food here in Salem is triggering a memory of that place. And now when I have that particular meal, when it's like done really well, it just like brings all of those good memories back. So. so it's almost like that one bite of that tortellini dish oh my God, sent yeah. your mind packing. It was almost oh like a, an emotional journey. There have been some tough times during this kind of still period this, under the pandemic. But I've also, I honestly have really appreciated some aspects of it where I feel like I have a deeper appreciation of things like that meal, because I probably hadn't gone out and sat down at a restaurant in months. I feel, and I hope it stays with me, uh, a better appreciation of things like that. Like, I can't wait till I go to a bar or club to see live music again. It's surreal. uh, So close to exactly a year before uh, all hell broke loose, Uh you and I were those people in Boston. In March yeah. of 2019. And my God, if you just close your eyes and imagine we were surrounded by a hundred people shoulder yeah. to shoulder, drinking beers, telling yeah. jokes, yelling across the room. How uncomfortable does that make us think today? Oh, my God. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, oh, oh. So now that we've talked about being home so much, uh, I want to go back to when we traveled around the globe at all. Do you have a favorite travel food story? Oh, my God. Great experience. Uh, I guess a lot of my foods come back to either Italian or maybe a big fan of Japanese cuisine. But uh, I'm thinking this happened years ago. I might have been like 10. So at the time, I think this was, I was visiting my sister. She was studying abroad and we went to Florence and I love Italy. We went to this place in Florence and God, there were two amazing dishes that I had there. There was this tortellini Michelangelo where it's a great cream sauce tortellini, but it's, I think they use a harder cheese because I remember the sauce being like a little, like a slight hue, like orange color to it, not just the the pure white, which just gave the meal like a, like a real nice kind of buttery, amazing dish. But there is a style of meat that they do in Florence and it's fascinating. It's they age and cure beef. And you'll go into the grocery store or butcher and you'll see this giant cut of beef. And I think it ages for a few months. You know, they season it, age it. Beef steak of Fiorentina. And it is a bold, beefy cut of steak. Beef steak of Fiorentina is probably the best meal I've ever had. My favorite meal. But I order this and I'm tiny. I'm a 10-year-old guy. And it comes over and it's big. And these old Italians are at a table next to us, you know, drinking, smoking a pipe, having a great time. 
they've probably eaten it since they were kids. And they're looking over at me and I'm like sweating, but I'm determined <laughs> I'm going to eat that goddamn steak because one, it's amazing. But also there's like a p- sense of pride when you're small or young kid that someone's like, oh, you, 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 you should eat smaller. You're not, you know, not big enough. And it's like, I'll show you. And I am like sweating. <laughs> I'm not a fat kid then. Like now I've, I, people would be like, oh, what, what's, what's the surprise? He can do this. But this is where it becomes fun. I am just like pushing through to eat this. And I'm determined I am not losing to this steak. And these gentlemen see me and they know I'm not losing to this steak. And they get excited because they're like, the American kid loves this traditional thing. So it's clearly a point of pride for the Florentines. They're like, hell yeah, we really, we're happy. Isn't that good? They're like, I know that's the best. Isn't it the best? Right on. But they're smiling and they're rocking back. And I didn't realize this at the time, but they shouted and they started chanting, Fortas, Fortas. And they're excited. They're chanting strength, strength. So these guys are rooting me on. And my dad, it's like, my I could sense my dad's sense of pride. My mom is laughing because she knows what they're saying. And she tells my dad, my dad is getting a kick out of this. I'm just like, whatever, sure. I'm going to beat this. And when I finish it, I can just feel like a gladiator. Like I had not only the best meal, I beat it. You know, Fortas, I can feel it inside me. Because it's like you want to honor that meal. That meal is so good. You don't want that to be waste. It's like the hunter, you appreciate the animal, use every part. And it's like one of the best meals and funniest and best meal experiences I've ever had. Oh my God. What a thrilling event. It was for, so fun for a, for a kid. You're like, wow, oh my these, God. these old guys are, are yelling. They're cheering me on. Yeah. I got this big steak. You're like a young man at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Was, you're like that- one of us. us. <laughs> yeah. And you had no idea how close oh. you came to be invited to go play bocce out back after the meal. Oh, my God. Bisteca Fiorentina. I admire those who enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say if I have a steak, it's as rare as they like to serve it. I will say mm. that openly steak is not my favorite format. When I, when I was in Florence sometime in the aught years, I ordered it with Jessica, my wife, because you have to. I mean, it is oh, a, rite, yeah. a rite of passage and she loves steak. I don't love steak, but I was like, this is a cultural moment. We're going to do it. It is, I will agree, perfectly cooked, perfectly oh, salted, yeah. perfectly mm. aged. As a specimen of meat goes, it is bigger than a 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and, and it cuts like butter. Now, oh, yeah, I took a bite. I enjoyed the bite. I acknowledged the quality of the experience. And I sat back with a nice warm bowl of ribolita soup. And you brought me there, man. You brought me back good, to Florence. Good. You brought me in front of those old guys. I could hear them cheering you on. What <laughs> is your worst travel food story? Now, I hope he doesn't get mad. My dad is a great cook. And I say this. Because my dad is actually a wonderful chef. Like he cooks some, he has cooked some of the best ribs I've ever had. Same with my mom. They do like two different styles. And he made something that I think if you like the components, you would actually like. But my mom was traveling. So it was like dad making dinner week when I was younger. And it's not the like token dad broke everything. He's making something that he loved. And I think mechanically was very well made. But just one of the pieces was, and I think it's just like me and this piece did not get along, but he was making uh, cheeseburgers, 
but he used a very hard, very sharp blue cheese that he's cooking. And blue cheese can be great. Like I love it in a, in a sauce, but it is a type where maybe I might just have like some sort of molecular reaction to it. But the way this cooked was so sharp and so pungent, it was like hurting me. And something just drop kicked a part of my tongue in the not good way. And my tongue and my stomach and everything is just kind of like, Ugh. uh, but I like cheese. I like beef and the, everything is, is fine because I think it was just so sharp and so strong. And I think I actually ended up throwing up later Oof. because it was just the, the sharpness and that blue cheese. And it's just like, <laughs> because I, and it's the thing that blows my mind. Cause I mean, I really like Buffalo wings, blue cheese sauce, but if there is like hard blue cheese and you cook it, it just like, it it's, it's my kryptonite. Oh my God. That story I, is fantastic on so many levels. <laughs> I'm going to start with the first level. The first level is foods that end up to be your kryptonite nearly hundred percent of the time, the first time you have it, it's completely expectation. The expectations were not set properly. The bar was not drawn properly. You had no idea what you were entering. It was black behind that door and you opened and you could not see, you were told to take a bite and it went <laughs> boom, it hit you in the back of the head because you had no clue what was coming. No, and no. okay. I'm okay. So like put yourself, how so can put, they, how could they steer you wrong? Exactly right. So put yourself in that mind frame. <laughs> You don't know what's coming. And when you don't know what's coming and you get slammed with blue cheese that's been cooked. If if someone says, here, you got to try this cookie and it happens to be dark chocolate, which you're not used to because you're used to semi-sweet. You're like, oh, OK. Now, take that same cookie. But instead of chocolate chips, use Gorgonzola. <laughs> yeah, it's the same net effect. Now, the other funny aspect of the story is I say. Kevin, what's your worst travel food story? The first thing that comes to mind is when your mom's traveling. Yeah. yeah. Your mom's traveling. You, this in your mind is a food travel story because of the fact that your dad was cooking because <laughs> your mom was traveling. And if, frankly, if your mom was home, she might have said, honey, don't I, do that I, with I, the blue cheese. I might have made it another 10, 20 years before <laughs> I encountered that. And that took but, it. That took an entire food genre out of your life. Do you understand yeah, the, Im oh my the God. impact? The impact of that. Oh burger? my God! Oh my God! Kevin, 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 we've reached the time of the show oh. where I'm going to make you fill in five fill in the blanks. Sure, sure. Are you ready? Yes, I am. My last meal will be blank. You know, I think I may have to come full circle. And, and maybe be beefsteak of Fiorentina because I would love to have that again in Florence. I think that, and though I'm generally not a big fan of wine, that is a meal that's very rich and dense. And I think kind of need a good wine or a strong drink to work through it. I, yeah, I think beefsteak of Fiorentina. Or another amazing meal I had on the South Shore of Massachusetts near Cape Cod. I had bouillabaisse. And I thought it was boring. It was heavenly. And I think they had a, they must've had a chef that grew up in France. So it was just every component for that. It was, my, it was with my sister, my brother-in-law and their kids. And they were visiting one time and we just kind of stopped by this place and it just knocked our socks off. I wish I could remember the name of the restaurant. They had an amazing, uh, their bouillabaisse stew was phenomenal. And that that's last meal material, huh? 
Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's just one of those things where it just felt like there was so much to it. Like it was a big, big bowl and there's just such a crazy variety. It, it felt like some of the fishy that have that fishier flavor, but some that have like more of a meaty savior flavor and the broth is just light and, you know, there's a little butteriness to it and a little wine. It's just like very well balanced. Uh, see, I will say as a request for a last meal, that's a bit of a dicey choice because as you said in the very beginning, you generally don't like bouillabaisse, but mm-hmm. this one was out of this world. Now, yeah. who, who's to say you're going to get that one? I haven't had it before, so I didn't know what to expect. And I'm surprised that it's like, pho and bouillabaisse i don't typically go to like soups as like oh boy i can't wait those are delicious and i'm stupid because they are amazing they're so amazing there's so much like like with the stew like a fun like texture you've got liquidy things sometimes you might have like a pasta in there and then you might have meats or vegetables so there is a variety of textures as well as flavors and smells going on so like they are a thing that is a real treat that i feel like i should use go to more. Uh, and I, I was just going to add a drink to go with that because I feel like I like the complexity or just what's, you know, variety of what's going on, a blood and sand, amazing drink. And it, it really blew my mind when I had one of the first time and I was like, Oh, I can see the alchemy. You've got whiskey, very strong, very stiff. And then there is a cherry brandy. That's like sickly sweet that I couldn't stand if I ever had a glass of that. You mix those together. They are polar opposites. You have orange juice, and I think it just might be those three things. So the orange juice will kind of filter and look like sand in salt water. The cherry brandy gives it like a bloody kind of color. So it's a blood and sand, but it is such a great balance, perfectly balanced drink. You've got the harsh and the sweet on opposite sides of the spectrum, but together fix each other. I'm going to put you on the spot though. Okay. I didn't sure. say, I didn't say last two meals. Okay, buddy. Okay. I said, your, I said your last meal as okay. if I'm your executioner. It's almost over. I happen to be a good cook. Also, I'm asking you, am I making you blood and stand and Visteca Fiorentina or am I making you blood and sand and a good base? I think we're going to have to go blood and sand and Visteca Fiorentina. I think that's an ultimate experience. Good. You know why? Why? My base sucks. <laughs> I cook blank to impress people. Ooh, um, I would have to say I got really good cooking with some red meat. I can make a really good blade steak right now. I like thicker cuts of steak that I can use in a broiler because I feel they, they're going back to what I was saying earlier, kind of idiot proof. Good sear on that. Good medium temperature for a long time, low to medium. So you get a nice juicy cuts well slice of meat. So Ooh. and um, a baked potato. This became one of my fun things with falling in love for uh, kosher salt. I perforate it with a fork, cover it with olive oil and kosher salt first. Then I start to cook it. Then I split it. Then I have olive oil, butter, and a little salt, and I cook it again. Oh, thank so you so much! Three. Thank you so much for saying that because yeah. man, not only is olive oil great or butter is great, but on a baked potato, number uh-huh. one, you got to use both butter and olive oil. And number two, you got to bake it twice. I fully endorse that baked potato. And let me tell you how exactly impressive I find that meal to be. If you were to make that for your executioner, you may not have to worry about the choice between Bisteca Fiorentina and Bouillabaisse. I cook 
blank to comfort myself. I have found I really like pot pies. It, that sounds boring until um, somebody turned me on to some the New England style. And it's just, I think it's one of those things where until you've had something properly, like in a proper way, that and like, I love making lefsa. It's a Scandinavian flatbread, like a fry bread. And it, it's funny. Everything in my life comes to go around to potatoes. It's got potatoes in it and a little bit of flour, but it uh, often has lard. So either animal lard, I guess, you know, in Western, you know, like the U S they might use like Crisco, but if you can animal lard makes a huge difference. It's great dough that you roll flat and you, and you bake it on a, on a skillet or a griddle, like a pancake. They're amazing. That in like a, a pot pie during the winter, great comfort food. And the thing with lefsa, you can have it with something savory like butter or whatever, or maybe roll it up some meat. We have it for Thanksgiving and Christmas in my, in my family all the time. It's just one of those great things for the table. You can put anything in it. It's, it's bread. That's easy to use, right? Like you just roll it like a joint with like a little cranberry sauce or maybe, you know, whatever. <laughs> you're all of a sudden you're rolling bread, like a joint. We're rolling what, bread, like what, a joint. One, what, look corner, at me. Why, what <laughs> corner did we turn? Kevin, what do you cook to comfort yourself? Well, I roll up a joint. <laughs> The one food I would erase from the earth is blank. I like pâtés, but there was some, uh, I think it might've been Braunschweiger. Is that the sausage that's kind of like a, like a pudding consistency? Well, Braunschweiger, there's a couple of things. Braunschweiger is liverwurst, right? So uh, it is a spreadable sausage like uh, yeah. Italian uh -huh. anduja or uh, like Spanish uh, sobrasada, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. spreadable sausages. Is that, is that? Hold on. I should probably set some parameters around this. You oh, cannot, okay. you cannot erase spreadable sausage. Oh, I don't want to erase. A, it's a particular type of that. Cause if there were, I've had things that are pates and I've had like kind of the different gradients, but there was just uh, a flavor to this that I was like, no, this doesn't work. The consistency is fun and playful. Other flavors work. This guy didn't. And I thought it was Braunschweiger that was just like new. Um, I will say that Braunschweiger is present. It is a very present form yeah. of spreadable sausage. It is a very livery liverwurst. I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's right there in the name. It's a very minerally uh, spreadable meat. Yeah, it's tough. I, I I feel like I'm such an equal opportunity eater. I do like I do like a lot of things. But there is the there's the funk factor, but there's also conceptual. I was talking to a friend and he would have erased blood pudding. And I get it because he said it wasn't a flavor thing because he loves I know I've eaten with this guy a million times. He loves minerally. He doesn't he can't wrap his head around the concept. Mm. And so, and, and I get that. So concept, mm -hmm. is it conceptually or is it flavor, flavor wise? You, let's just simplify it. You would get yeah. Braunschweiger because of what? It was, it was the flavor with it that I didn't like. I like the idea because there's other kind of spreadable sausages that I think are awesome, but that one just felt so it, to me, it tasted lackluster compared to things that I've had that are like, wow, that's amazing. Blood sausage. I feel like there, there's a there's a type of sausage like a blood sausage that I had. Gruesome name, not that bad. But there was another type of sausage with it that I was like, not good. Brown Schweiger just felt like kind of meh. Like, 
Yeah, I feel like it's named a kind of a sad name because I'm yeah. just like, Braunschweiger. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's Bounds. I, I don't speak German, but I'm just like, if you said it, I'd be like, I kind of know what I'm getting into with this. And then I try it and I'm like, yeah, that tastes like it sounds like <laughs> it's like it's, it's like it's sadness. It's it sounds a sausage like it's, of sadness. It's, it sounds like it's going to taste like a Schweiger. Ugh. Yeah, it's like, oh, so like he's mourning like a butcher. There, he, his yeah. girlfriend used to bring the most flavorful vegetables and spices and she's gone. So it's like now I just have this sad meat that's spreadable and it's just missing. It's missing what what Helga would bring. Helga brought the best, <laughs> you know, the, the, the paprika. And oh, but the paprika is gone from my life. It's like the spreadable sausage you eat while you're in mourning. <laughs> it's Lent in a tube. There's two more foods I may have to banish. Now, stop, stop, stop. I asked you what one food you would erase. Now you have like oh. an encyclopedia. Okay. Well, gonna, I realize gonna, that there, I'm I'm there are things that I might be food crimes. No, no. One There's more. one just... that I think is a food crime. Okay, okay. I'll just say one. One more. I think it's a, I think you should try it so you can understand the joke of why it's so bad. Uh, and that is lutefisk. Lutefisk is a it's a crime against food. I'm convinced it was made accidentally or as punishment because for the uninformed, it is, I believe, pickled herring, brined, boiled in lye, which is caustic, which can kill you and is, you know, it's poison, but it's wrapped. And when you get the fish out after this elaborate process, it's like jelly. It looks like some sort of HR Geiger. Like it starts as a fish and then you like it turns. It's like, no, that ain't no fish. That's like a fish that the holodeck tried, but the, the robot was drunk. And it's like, sorry, all, <laughs> all I had was, uh, a, you know, I had a, a vision of a fish and then I watched a scary movie. And sorry, it's been a tough day here. Uh, enjoy. It's, it's gelatinous. The bones, I believe, become gelatinous, so you could eat those two. It's, it's terrifying, and you have it, and you're like, that's not good. Why are we doing that to ourselves? And you just see a lot of sad biking types you know, in the Midwest or you know, up there just like, oh, yeah, this is our food. We have to eat this as punishment for you know the dark ages. Sorry. This <laughs> is our penance to eat this culturally. Every other country got the good foods. We were punished. Or maybe we ate this and then we saw that they had spaghetti in Italy and they had all these great foods and they're like, we're going to conquer. Uh, we're going to go loot Paris. I am going to um, be in so much trouble with so many cultures. Okay. The last, but certainly not least fill in the blank is sure. blank is for dinner tonight. I think everybody already knows what the answer is going to be. Steak and baked potatoes. Steak, steak and baked potatoes. Uh, yeah. I, I, I feel like I'm kind of a basic, I, I'm that Irish boy that loves his steak and potatoes, but, uh, you know, you can't go wrong with something that's kept your people alive for a thousand years. So I'm good with that, man. So <laughs> Kevin, uh, this has been phenomenal. I really appreciate your time. I know that the faculty at Harvard, uh, keep yeah. you, keep you running around busy, maybe not I on campus these days, but, uh, yeah. certainly, certainly on a daily basis. So I really appreciate it. And, and it's always fun to catch up with you. You know, yeah, this was great. I really, I really thank you so much for having me on. This is really great. I can't wait to hear more of these as they, as they come out. Neither can I. <laughs> <laughs>
to all of you wonderful, intelligent listeners out there, remember to subscribe to this show, follow me on Instagram, and find our books with your favorite seller. Those are One Pan to Rule Them All, Kiss My Casserole, How to Cook Anything in Your Dutch Oven, Chinese Street Food, and the forthcoming Off the Top of My Head, Recipes, Rants, and Ravings of an American Cook Obsessing in Barcelona. Until next time, stay saucy and eat well.